0: This morning we're going to talk about, two what you might call Widow's Might Ministries. Widow's Might Ministries. Ways that we can get involved in helping and serving, uh, no matter how much we have or we don't have. I've got that name for something that happened in the Gospels when Jesus was at the temple. All the verses I refer to are on the back of your notice sheet, uh, if you're interested, just as we go through. But we're talking about something that happened in the Gospels, when Jesus saw a widow putting two small coins in the collection box, if you like, a penny, a mite in older versions. Yet Jesus says that this woman gives more than any of the rich people there because she gave what she had. You see, there'll be a temptation this morning as we talk about these issues to think that these ministries are for somebody else. Someone with more resources. Someone with a bigger bank account. Someone at a different stage of life. But these are widow's might ministries. What matters is not how much you have, but that you give what you have. And we all have something to give in these areas. Now I should say as well this morning, we're going to touch on that taboo subject for all Yorkshiremen. Money. Can I say from the front, if you're visiting, this isn't... uh, About, we're not after getting your money. This isn't about you putting more money in the gift box. In fact, this morning I'm going to encourage you not to do that and use it for other things. So please don't sit there and think that we're after your cash. We're not. So, what are we talking about this morning? Why are we talking about these issues? Well, as a church on a Sunday morning, we go through books of the Bible, we go through passage by passage, sometimes verse by verse, like we will be this morning, and we simply talk about what it talks about. This morning, it's talking a bit about hospitality and about giving. Last Sunday, or uh, well, last time we looked at it, uh, it was talking about um, something else. And next week it'll be talking about uh, something else. It just happens that this week, that's what we're talking about. So bearing all that in mind, let's look at what it actually says. We're looking at verse 13. Let me read it to you again. It says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. So our first point is sharing with the saints. Sharing with the saints. Let me give you a story, see if this sounds familiar to you. Perhaps you've seen it in a shop or other things. A mum gives her two children a bag of sweets. I can already feel the tension. She gives them it to share. You know what's going to happen, don't you? You can see what's coming. Well, it doesn't go well, does it? One child has snatched the sweets off the other one. And the other one is now trying to, that that one who snatched them is trying to fit as many sweets as they humanly can possibly fit in their mouth before the the bag disappears. The other child is complaining and moaning and screaming that it's not right to snatch, and then immediately snatches the bag as soon as they're able to take it back. Well, Mum steps in, calms everyone down, negotiates a sort of peace treaty between what's going on. It's all quiet as they both munch away at their sweets. And then Mum asks if she can have one of the sweets that she's given to them. And you know the answer, don't you? No. Sound familiar? The thing is, though, that this dislike of sharing continues into adulthood, doesn't it? Whether it's sharing food. If you're a Friends fan, what about Joey? Joey doesn't share food. Or uh, sharing our time. You know, I'm just a bit too busy at the moment to see you. and know it's evening on Netflix. But the Bible calls us to share. Our verse says we're to contribute to the needs of the saints. And the word that, that's translated there contribute is literally to share. We're to share in the needs of the saints, to partner in them, to fellowship in them. We're to help one another bear the load. We're to share with one another. And it's all of us. When it says saints there, it just means ordinary Christians, ordinary believers. It's a word used in the Bible to describe ordinary, everyday, run-of-the-mill Christians. So it would be right biblically to call myself Saint Christopher. I'm not going to do that. Please don't do that to me either. But it wouldn't be biblically wrong. You know, we're told in chapter 1 of Romans that a letter was written to all those who are in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. And that meant the whole church. It didn't mean like a little small subset of the church. So we're called to share in the needs of believers. We're called to help one another, be generous with one another. When was the last time that you helped out another believer? When when was the last time that you were there when somebody needed you? Now some of the commentaries make out that this is purely financial and material, Now, as we've said at the beginning, the material side is important and it's definitely an application of this. This should make us think about being generous with our material resources. But I think it's much broader given what the Bible teaches. It includes the financial, but in the Bible we have many needs and we're called to share much more. We're called in Galatians to share one another's burdens. We're called to share one another's troubles and tears and suffering in Romans, Corinthians, and Philippians. But we're also to share with that in one another's rejoicing, in one another's comfort, in one another's consolation. In 1 Thessalonians 2, we're challenged to share our very lives, our very selves with one another. As we said earlier in this passage in verse 5, it tells us that we are members of one another, that we belong to one another, is what it says earlier on. So that does involve helping out believers who are in dire financial and material need, but it's much more than that. It's not something that we can sort of keep in our back pocket as a command until somebody's in dire financial need or so we see someone starving. Actually, this is something we can apply every day. It's about being there for one another. It's about having one another's backs. It's about being a family together. A family that helps one another out. A family that shares in life together. A family that shares what they have together. Now in the early church they literally shared everything. They had a sort of communal pot of money and people would sell what they have and put it into the pot. Now I'm not this morning suggesting that we do that. For one thing, Steve, our treasurer, who prayed earlier, would probably have a heart attack thinking about the admin that that would involve, uh, dealing with everybody's money, with the, the properties and all that sort of stuff. But what if we had that general attitude of generosity towards one another? What if we shared what we have with the people around us and the people who are online as well? We haven't forgotten about you, don't worry. The people around you, if you're a believer, are your family. We're brothers and sisters. And you share what you have with family, don't you? You're generous towards them. So this is not a plea to put more in the collection box, but to be generous with the people around you. We're to share what we have with one another, our homes, our time, our money, our lives. Now some of you I know are thinking, well the people around me, they're not in need, are they? Really, that's what it says, share with those in need. Now the first thing to say is that's a fair point. Although need's relative, isn't it? But surely we want that the needs don't arise, don't we? We want to be a million miles away from believers being in need. Now could you imagine the situation, you know, I'm sorry, I can't share my food with you, you're not hungry enough. Just don't think you're hungry enough. Or sorry, I can't talk right now, your emotional distress level is too low. It needs to be a bit higher before I'll speak to you on the phone. It sounds daft, doesn't it, when we put it like that? But why does it have to be that people are near breaking point before we step in and be generous and show kindness and generosity to one another? The second thing to say, though, is that there are believers across the globe who are near breaking point, aren't there? We need to think about how we can be generous with them too. In chapter 15, Paul tells the Romans that he's raising money for Christians who are facing famine in Judea. And I think, actually... This is an example of what he's talking about Many of the churches are contributing to his fund And it's almost like this is a worked example Of what he talks about here So generosity begins in the local church But it doesn't stop there We're to share in the needs of the saints Whatever we can Remember it's a widow's might ministry we're talking about Why are we to do that? Well the first reason, I've got two reasons One, it's a guard against hypocrisy if you've been here, or more, not here, but online, from the previous talks, you'll know that this section, from verses 9 to 13, is unpacking one phrase. Let love be genuine. Let love be genuine. This is what genuine love looks like. Literally unhypocritical love. If love is genuine, it will help a brother or sister in need. Whatever their need. So in James, so James in James 2 writes... If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for their body, what good is that? So, also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. What it's saying here is that faith works itself out in works of love, or it isn't really a living faith. It's hypocrisy, it's an act, it's pretend. Genuine love shows itself in meeting the needs of others. If we don't do it, then it isn't genuine love. So that's the first reason, it's a guard against hypocrisy. The second reason that we're to do it is because God has been generous with us. Now it's not saying, be generous with others and God will be generous with you. It's not that way round. It's saying because God has been generous with you, You be generous with others. And this is what makes Christianity so different from every other religion in the world. Nearly all religions say be nice to others and that will put you in God's good books. Be it Allah or Krishna or just God in general. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that God has freely been kind to us. That we don't earn God's kindness by being good, but that he offers it to us by faith, by trusting in the provision that God has made to be kind to us and to offer us forgiveness and new life. That provision was Jesus' death on the cross. God didn't spare his own son for us, so we shouldn't spare anything for God. Share with the saints. That's our first point. We've only got two points this morning. The second point is sharing with strangers. Let me read you that verse again, verse 13. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Now, this whole second part hangs on that word hospitality. And if you think about it, I suppose if you think about the first section that we've been talking about, actually, you probably think that is more what we talk about when we talk about hospitality. You know, we think about it as as sharing with people that we know, you know, having your friends round entertaining even when we Christianize it it becomes having friends from church round sharing our home and our lives with them and that's what we've just been talking about isn't it but we're going to see that the word hospitality isn't quite what that means I would 100 percent recommend having friends from church round your house. This is the first Sunday I've been able to say that, which is amazing, isn't it? That <laughs> It sort of works out that way. If I had preached this a couple of weeks ago, I wouldn't, wouldn't be able to say it. But I 100% recommend having your friends round from church for the reasons that we've talked about. But that's not exactly what it means by hospitality here in the Bible. The word hospitality in the Bible literally means a love of aliens, not sort of, you know, crazy <laughs> at UFOs, that sort of thing, but people who are strangers, foreigners to us. It's the opposite of the, the Greek word xenophobia. That's the sort of opposite of it. It's, it's philozenia. It's sort of flipped round. Xenophobia is a fear of strangers and foreigners. This is a love of strangers and foreigners. And it's one of the marks of a mature Christian in Titus and Timothy. And it's a qualification for being an elder, is showing hospitality. It's something that we do do for believers in 1 Peter 4 without grumbling, interestingly in notes. In our translation, the ESV, it's actually translated elsewhere in Hebrews 13 verse 2. It says, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. And it's exactly, the to strangers bit isn't there. It's just that's the word. That's what it means. So you could translate it exactly the same here. Hospitality To strangers. Now, in the old world, there weren't so many inns or hotels. Travel lodges and premier inns hadn't been invented, and it was a hard time for those making those little sachets of coffee Mm -hmm. and generic pieces of art to sort of hang on the wall. Didn't really have a lot of business in those days. But the inns that did exist were quite dodgy places in general. Bear in mind it was characters like Rahab, the prostitute who kept inns in the Old Testament. Most people would depend on people opening up their homes for them to stay in. People often had guest rooms in their house for for visitors, and it's sort of like Airbnb, sort of in the old world, if you like. People could come and stay in your home. So hospitality was about opening your home to visitors, to strangers, to people that you'd not met. Someone defined hospitality then as the process of taking someone from a stranger to a friend. From a stranger to a friend. And there was apparently an understanding in the old world that you could only do hospitality with someone once. Because once you'd done it with them once, you'd taken them from being a stranger to a friend, and then you were having a friend round, so you couldn't do hospitality with them again. And you couldn't reciprocate it, because they would then be your friend, not a stranger. So this is not talking about a Christian version of come dine with me. You know what I mean? Where you sort of go around and rate one another's cookery skills. It's about taking someone from a stranger to a friend by opening up your home, or whatever means you have available, welcoming a stranger and making them a friend. And that is something any Christian can do, no matter what their cookery skills, order a takeaway if you want, no matter what their food budget, Jesus talks about just offering a cup of water to someone in his name. And you can get water from a public tap, can't you? you can borrow it from church if you want. But well, don't give it back, though. <laughs> what matters is the journey from stranger to friend. Now, I think in the past, we've sometimes been a bit reticent as a church to invite newcomers round for a meal. You know, in our heads, we say, I can't invite them round my house. I don't know them yet. Whereas hospitality in the Bible says, I don't know them yet. I should invite them round my house. That's the difference, isn't it? And if you don't have a house, well, you could invite someone out for coffee, couldn't you? And if you don't like coffee, well, you could start drinking coffee, can't you? We've all got to make sacrifices. Do you see, though, what matters is the willingness to give it a go, a willingness to go from strangers to friends, to open up your life and your calendar to new people. That's why Paul writes, seek to show hospitality. Again it literally means to pursue, to follow after, to chase after. Now I'm not suggesting here don't, don't worry if you knew this morning, not suggesting you chase after new people. That's not what it's saying. But it means that you mentally you chase after being a hospitable person. You're one of those people who seeks to do it, who pursues it, who loves and welcomes strangers. Now I know what some of you are thinking again, but I'm an introvert. Wonderful. So am I. I've done my Myers-Briggs test, if you know what that is. It tells me that I am an introvert. This is part of us offering our bodies, offering our lives as living sacrifices to God. That's what we saw as a big headline, wasn't it, in Romans 12 at the beginning. This is what it means to live in response to the gospel. Some people love welcoming new people. Some people find it really hard. But finding it hard is not a reason not to do it. Show me the person who finds next week's verse easy. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Just because it doesn't come naturally isn't a good enough reason to ignore what God says. So why are we to do this? Why are we to to take that step, that journey from stranger to friend? Well, two reasons again. Number one, Jesus said it was the mark of a true believer. Jesus talks about this in Matthew 25 in the parable of the sheep and the goats. This is what he said. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. Here we go. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. uh, I was in prison and you came to see me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you? And when, he did, uh, and when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer, truly I say to you, as you did to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did to me. When we understand that this is about helping strangers becoming friends rather than a cooking contest, we can see the importance of what's going on. Being a stranger here is equated with being hungry or thirsty or naked or in prison. Being a stranger is there along with it, isn't it? We all know the pain and difficulty of being alone in a strange place, don't we? Even being alone as a family in a new place. You've got those questions going through your head, haven't you? Will I make friends? What if, what if something that I've got breaks down? Who do I call? Who do I call when everything starts to go wrong? In the ancient world, being a stranger left you vulnerable to robbery and attack. Think of the angels who visited visited Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis. Lot tells them not to stay in the town square, lest they be attacked. He offers them shelter and safety under his roof. He offers them hospitality, and he's marked as a righteous man for doing it. One of the signs that things were so wrong with Sodom and Gomorrah was actually their lack of hospitality, amongst many other things. No one took strangers in. No one welcomed them. You see, to be a stranger was to be vulnerable. And Lot provided the angels with a welcome. It was a sign that despite all his issues, he was a true believer. So that's reason number one. It marks a true believer. And number two, because once we were strangers and we were brought near and welcomed. Now I don't mean here at Beach Hill, though that might be true. I mean that God has brought us near to him through Jesus. This is what Paul writes in one of his other letters, Ephesians. Remember that you at one time were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. We were strangers, but now we've been welcomed and brought near by the blood of Jesus. God has taken us from strangers to friends, but even more than that, did you notice? He's taken us and made us part of his household. He's taken us from strangers to family. Jesus died so that we could be adopted, so that we could be part of his family. If God treats strangers in that way, then shouldn't we be willing to offer that same welcome to strangers that we come across? Welcoming them ultimately as part of our family. You know, I wonder sometimes what happened to that widow and her mite. Jesus said that she'd just given away all that she had. I wonder what happened to her that evening. Did she have anything to eat? Did she have anyone to look after her? I wonder if Jesus' words sparked off any acts of generosity from the people around him. I wonder if anyone was generous with their home and invited her back for a meal. I wonder if anyone was generous with their time and sat and listened as she talked about her late husband. I wonder if anyone was generous with their money and as she left, she found that someone had left another two coins in her coat. God has been incredibly generous to us in Christ. He's been kind to us. So as we lay down our lives as living sacrifices in response, let's be generous with what we have and join in with the ministry of the widow's might. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. That you have been generous towards us. Thank you that when we were strangers and aliens, you welcomed us, not just as friends, but as part of your family. Father, help us to show that same welcome to each other. Father, help us to love one another and share with one another and be generous with one another. Not to earn points with you, but Father, because you have been kind to us. In Jesus' name, amen.